This podcast is part of the National Archives Voices of the Armistice campaign, commemorating 90 years since the end of the First World War. Hear more voices at nationalarchives.gov.uk forward slash armistice, part 404. My name is William Spencer. I am the Principal Military Specialist at the National Archives at Kew. WO25637, Haig's Personal Diary. The diary we have here at the National Archives is just a copy, but it gives a useful account of the day-to-day views, thoughts and activities of Field Marshal Lord Haig. Monday, November the 11th, France. Fine day, but cold and dull. Reports from Foch's headquarters state that his meeting with the German delegates, which took place in the train in the Forest of Compagne, and not in Chateau as previously reported, began at 2am and at 5am the armistice was signed. The Germans pointed out that if the rolling stock and supplies of the army, which have to be handed over by the terms of the armistice, are given up, then the Germans east of the Rhine will starve. Report says Foch was rather brutal to the German delegates and replied that that was their affair. The armistice came into force at 11am. The state of the German army is said to be very bad and the discipline seems to have become so low that the orders of the officers are not obeyed. Captain von Heldorf, who tried to get to Spa from campaign with the terms of the armistice by night, was fired at deliberately by the German troops marching on the road and he could not pass. While on another main road, they broke up the bridges so that he could not proceed. At 11am, I had a meeting with the five army commanders and General Kavanagh. I explained that for the moment, my orders are to advance to a sector of the German frontier, 32 miles wide, extending from Verviers, exclusive, to Hufalis in the south. The northern half of this sector would be held by the second army, southern half by the fourth army. The other armies would for the present either stand fast or send back behind railheads such divisions as could not be easily supplied. I then pointed out the importance of looking after the troops during the period following the cessation of hostilities. Very often the best fighters are the most difficult to deal with in periods of quiet. I suggested a number of ways in which men can be kept occupied. It is as much the duty of all officers to keep their men amused as it is to train them for war. Staff officers must attend to this. If funds are wanted, GHQ should be informed, and I'll arrange for money to be found. After the conference, we were all taken on the cinema. General Plumer, whom I told to go off and be cinemaed, went off most obediently and stood before the camera trying to look his best while Bing and the others near him were chaffing the old man and trying to make him laugh. I got back to the train about 12.45, and at 12.50 the Prince Fushimi of Japan, Prince Arthur of Connaught and Marquis Inui arrived and stayed to lunch. Before lunch, Fushimi handed me a fine Japanese decoration. The Prince of Wales arrived about 2.15, and after Fushimi and he had a talk, The latter went off for a short tour around the battlefields. I rode after the Prince of Wales left. The country is open and clear of wire. Not much cultivation. About dinner time, Foch's conditions of the armistice arrived with instructions as to our advance. We march on the 17th, Sunday, and after two marches, halt again. This podcast is a recording of extracts taken from Sir Douglas Haig's War Diary, 
a copy of which is held at the National Archives. Permission has kindly been given to reproduce this by the National Library of Scotland and the Earl Hay.